guys. You can have a seat. How are we doing today? We awake? All right. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> that sounded so fake, but that's okay. Um, so there is an iconic scene in the lore of scary movies where um, there's a threat, some kind of monster on the outside, but you're in, in the house, you lock the doors, you lock the windows, you're looking out, and the phone rings, and you answer it, and it's the monster, right? But the monster is calling from inside, upstairs. A few of you who didn't want to say it, we're in church, we shouldn't talk like this. I, you know what? Let's watch it. Why don't we do that? I'm in the house. <laughs> Do you know where I am? <sighs> I could be anywhere. I'm like the wind, baby. <gasps> yeah. Where am I? <laughs> um, you're you're behind the couch. How <laughs> do you know that? I, I can um see your feet. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right. Um, so I show you that for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the, the biggest reason is because uh, I think uh, Christians, we tend to think the biggest threats are on the outside, which is normal to think that way. Right. It's like those people or that uh, political party or movement or corporate, whatever. And, and there are some threats on the outside. But if you read the scriptures, the, the biggest danger, right, the biggest danger comes from inside, from Within. And yet, it is pretty easy to spot the danger if we know how to look. They're behind the couch, right? That it's there and it should be easier sometimes than it is for us to spot. But we will talk. Let's pray first. Lord, uh, we love you. We thank you for the ability to look to your word. Lord, I especially think on this weekend how uh, blessed we are to freely come and worship you. And freely preach your word um, because so many have given their lives. and Families have given loved ones to fight for our freedom. And Lord, I pray that um, you will uh, continue to bless those who stand in harm's way. And this weekend as we enjoy our freedoms, we'd remember that. God, I pray that you will do your work today. And it's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, or should we say, bless you to somebody who needed that. Um, it's allergy season. We give each other grace, right? For sure. Um, so 2 Timothy is what we've been going through, line by line. So if you're visiting with us, that's what we've been doing, right? Um, and, and, and so in that, we're going to actually, we fell uh, last week, verse 13, that verse 14 is when we're going to pick up the action, okay? So if you want to follow along, you can turn your Bibles to that, but we will put it on the screen. Um, as a reminder, Paul is in prison. He's in chains. He's about to die. So it's a sobering letter. A lot of it's very personal to Timothy, whom he loves, his protege, his child in the faith, right? So a lot of that's been, been very personal thoughts as we, from, from Paul. But we're going to get to this short passage of chapter 2 where he begins to deal with what's going on in Ephesus with Timothy. And that is the danger from within, some false teaching. But he doesn't go into a lot of it, and it's a little tough to understand what he's talking about. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time, not a lot, which is hard for me, so pray, um, looking at 
the context of this because the first letter he wrote to Timothy was really the main subject was this, okay? What was going on in, in the church at Ephesus and how to deal with it? And, and, and so I'm not going to give you all, but I'm going to look first in chapter 1, and then we're going to look a little bit in, in chapter 4. So then when we get to our passage in 2 Timothy, we have a better grasp on what this danger is, okay? So uh, I'm in right now 1 Timothy chapter 1. So Paul writes this, As I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So there's a group of teacher, the group of people who are who are trying to teach those within the church, right? And 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 what, what happens throughout church history happens today that, that, that it's something that, that focuses on genealogies, myths, legends, using the Bible for new information. I put that in quotes. Okay? That's enticing, right? And, and, he's, and he's warning Timothy about them. Don't let them do that. He says, for us, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons... By swerving from these, that's a big word we'll see in our passage in 2 Timothy, swerving from these, which remember are the, 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 the good doctrine that we cling to, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. All right, so usually groups, we call them cults actually, typically, and I know that word gets thrown, thrown around for a lot of different reasons. The definition of a cult is twisted biblical Christianity. They will use uh, verses from the Bible. They'll use names. They'll even sometimes say that they follow Jesus. But it is not what we would call, what Paul would call the apostolic doctrine handed down from Christ to the apostles, which we now have in our Bibles in our New Testament. And so, the, so if you're not careful, it sounds like it's Christian, but it's warped, it's twisted. That's what was happening here. They often use uh, little nuances in Scripture and say, oh, you know, and they, they go back and, they, and, and, and it's usually very controlling. And if you don't celebrate this way or eat this kind of food or do this, dress this way, right? And it's, and it's enticing to people for lots of different reasons. He's saying, watch out for that. Now I'm going to skip to chapter 4 where he deals with them again. He says, now this. Now this is, this is heavy, right? He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. The faith. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Wow. Like, what, are they sacrificing black cats on Halloween? Like, what are we doing here? Is this like some crazy, like, seances or something like that? No. Remember, uh, the, the demons work for Satan. Satan is called, he's disguised as a, as a child of light, right? He's disguised in what looks good, enticing, interesting, provoking. And so he's saying this teaching is grabbing a lot of people's attention because it's not that same old boring apostolic doctrine in the gospel. We want something new and shiny. And that's what uh, happened then and happens today. Verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It often will do that. As I said, fixate on different foods you can eat or different days. It's like these, these things that are, that, that are enticing to people, but they're not biblical truth. They're twisted. Verse 4. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained, that's an important word, in the words of the faith. That's noun, right? The faith is our core biblical belief. That's the faith. And he's saying you're trained in that and of the good doctrine Good teaching that you have followed. Anything that you train in is hard work, right? Like if you're going to train your body, it's going to be hard work. If you're training your mind, hard work, sacrifice, effort, right? And so he's saying the same thing. Train, toil, work, right? And then he goes back to the false teachers. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. There it is again. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Training in the doctrines uh, of Christ is hard work, but it's worth it because it's forever. You train your body, and that's good, but guess what? We talk about it all the time. You know, the the eight-pack abs, they disappear regardless. You hit 30, you're like, what happened? And you hit 40, you're like, I went to bed weighing this much, I woke up, I gained weight. What happened, right? It happens. You're going to disintegrate, your eyesight's going to go, no matter how much you train. But your spirit, like who you are in godliness, that goes on forever. So he says that's even more important. But training gives that thought that it's hard work. Otherwise, you'll get sucked in by that false teaching. Let's give, skip ahead one more verse from 1 Timothy. Because he's even saying this to Timothy. Timothy's the guy in charge. The guy Paul's entrusting with this. But he says even to him. And I, I look at this as he's saying this to me. Keep a close watch on yourself. Watch out. Right? And on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's like, Paul, of course, is not saying that, that reading the Bible saves you in, in just in that but it's what preserves your salvation. Otherwise, you're going to so easily swerve off track. It is why the Word of God is so important. Okay, so now we get to our passage. And that was a lot. I don't usually do that. Um, it's really hard for me to not stop at every word. You guys know that. So, but I wanted to give you the context. That's what's happening in Ephesus. Now we fast forward. He's in prison. This is a ways but, uh, later, but Timothy is still in Ephesus. So uh, Paul's been kind of talking about a lot of personal things to Timothy and about himself, but now he's going to get back into what's going on there. It's still uh, a problem. So in verse 14, remind them, Timothy, of these things. That word remind, okay, it's, it's, uh, um, it's written in the Greek in a present tense, which means it's ongoing. Keep reminding, keep reminding, keep reminding, keep reminding. It's like parents telling your kids to shut the light off when they leave the room. It's a constant reminder. So he's saying, you've got to keep reminding these people of these things. And 
that, that, that these things would, of course, refer back to what we talked about last weekend. That salvation is found in Christ alone. He died for you. He rose. He's coming again. It's salvation isn't found in Christ. Like, remind them of these things because it's so easily swayed to the demonic doctrines of you need this. You need new information. You need this genealogy or this myth, this legend that we got from the Bible or God told me. And it's and, and, and so easily swayed. You need to remember these things. And he said, charge them. That just, that's another word for that is warn them. So parents... There's reminding them. That's usually positive. Hey, guys, shut the light off. Hey, guys, shut the... Eventually, you get to the warning stage. You don't shut the light off. You're going to be paying the electric bill. And I will, you know, and you start kind of carrying out some threats, right? That's warning them what's going to happen if you don't. And so he says, warn them, remind them, warn them. Before God, what? Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers ruins them. It's a big word. Right? So he says that you're quarreling about words. He's not suggesting, Paul would never suggest that there's no time for good uh, discussion about theology or about the Bible, right? But, but he's saying these people who've already tried to deal with them, they're continuing to teach this vain, empty teaching that we know is not the truth. Avoid them. Like, just avoid them because you're getting involved with that. It just causes problems for those who hear. And so instead, he says, you need to do your best. And this is a great one for us, right? Do your best to what? Present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. No need to be ashamed. Because these people are shaming Timothy. Oh, what a moron. He doesn't want to be over here with us, right? He's like, you don't need to worry about that. You know why? You serve. You serve an audience of one. Every time I stand up here, I want all of you to get so much out of it. I care about one, and that's God. If everyone else says, I don't care what you have to say. It's dumb. I don't believe it. But it pleases God, so be it. And that's what he's saying. And so to do that, even though you might be unpopular by others, you rightly handle the word of truth. And so that in the Greek just literally means, which is kind of weird, right, to cut straight. To cut straight. Here's a picture that'll kind of, you ever, especially around here in New England, we have all kinds of mountainous stuff. Like sometimes we don't even think about it. We're driving on a highway, and on your left, and, or on your right, on your left, is like mountainous rocks. And you don't even think like, man, who built this road? That must have been hard. you got to blow through that to keep the road going straight. Otherwise, your highway is going to take hours and hours and hours to get to your destination. And so they had to cut straight right through, right? So that's what he says to do. That's what we do. Rightly handling the truth is we don't wander around. We cut straight. We handle it right. That's our job. That's what we do. So he says, but he, he says, uh, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Remember, it's always enticing. These demonic doctrines, they sound good, they sound interesting, right? They sound like they might be good for you, but they result in further from truth, further from God, and therefore it always ends up in ungodliness. Always. Ungodly things happen. 
and their talk, verse 17 and 18, will spread like gangrene. Anybody got gangrene? Oh, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That's gross, right? Like a little disease and it just begins to spread. That's what happens. A little bit of ear tickling, a little bit, it just begins to spread. She says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. I'm sure I screwed up their names. Hyme, by the way, uh, he was in the first letter. They're supposed to kick him out of the church, and maybe they did. I don't know, but he's still around, clearly. And he's saying that they've swerved. There's that word, remember from the first letter that I showed you? They've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Here's, uh, uh, sorry it's blurry, but uh, anyone that want a cop to having done that before? Swerve. Oh, we got a bunch of driver instructors here. That's it. Okay. All right. Okay. Some of you have. Maybe something ran across the road. Maybe someone swerved in your lane. But, but that's a picture of you're cutting straight. You're going straight and whoosh, you're off course. And he says this teaching has done that. And that's what results when you do it. Specifically, it's a good example of what can happen. In the Greco-Roman world, they thought flesh was evil. So they hated the idea of a bodily resurrection. Some, right? And so they, would begin, they were obviously teaching that the resurrection had already happened and that it was spiritual only. The problem with this, you see throughout church history, this heresy, is that they then have to deny that Christ rose bodily. And as Paul said elsewhere, you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are to be the most pitied people in the world because everything is over. It all hinges on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were completely warping key. This isn't a minor point they were disagreeing on. This is key doctrine that means everything to us. And, and what would end up happening is it would lead you into ungodliness because if flesh is evil, they could do all kinds of sinful stuff. It didn't matter because flesh is evil anyway. And my spirit is fine. They would do things like that. So that's just an example of what was happening in Ephesus. But that's how it works. Swerving away. Swerving away. And he ends the thought this way before we apply it. But God's Firm foundation stands. Regardless of all this is happening over here. His word of truth. His plan will stand. And there's a seal. A seal would be a signature usually. If you built a building and your name was on the seal, you owned it. So God owns this, the truth. And he quotes, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That first quote was from the Old Testament, when Moses had a, 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 a group of people rose up to challenge him, say, God really wants us to lead, not you, the sons of Korah. And so Moses just said, well, let's let God decide. You got you people over there. I'm over here. Who's God's? Who's right? And all these people, God wiped out. And Moses said, oh, all right. I guess we're good. That's my translation. Don't look it up. But that's what happened, right? So he's, he's, he's saying same thing happens. A group of people causing all kinds of pro problems. Maybe Timothy wants to go in here. He's like, you just cut straight. You just handle it rightly and know that in the end, the Lord knows who are his. It's those who are built on the truth of God's word. So how do I want to just apply this before we, we leave on this beautiful day? I don't usually do this for you. It's a gift. A, B, C. And they all connect. Okay, first, A, well, avoid false teaching. Avoid it. Don't, don't get involved with it. Don't get enticed by it. And there's really two different sections that I, that I think about. The first is kind of what Paul was dealing with. We still deal with this today. 
And they even go on the internet now. We see it a lot. Enticing people. Look at my teaching. I'm a Bible teacher. Oh, you are? Great. And they start teaching things that sound interesting that you've never heard before. Huh, my pastor doesn't talk about that because it isn't true, right? We, we had, um, I was eating breakfast a number of years ago with a local, another local pastor. And he was like, <clears throat> in my church, we, uh, we have an issue going on where the small group of people are not really coming around as much. They were, they were pretty involved. They're not anymore. And I found out that they were doing this online Bible study with this guy who lives in a different state. And I called him. The guy's brilliant, and a lot of what he says sounds good, but there's something off. And sure enough, it was a lot off. And this whole group ended up leaving the church and forming this group led by this leader. And since then, I've watched, and as a pastor now for a number of years, it comes up. Someone will start sending me an email saying, how come, Pastor, how come you don't preach that Christians shouldn't be eating pork? Because we can, that's why. Jesus declared all foods clean. You read the book of Acts? Yeah, but, and, I'll be, and, 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 and I've literally said this, are you listening to someone on the internet? <laughs> and they're like, that's not the point. I'm like, you are, because I've seen it. And, and, it's, and it's like, because it's enticing, it's new truth, it's, it's, it's like, and it fixates on foods and holidays and, and, and goes back and takes little pieces in the Old Testament law that Jesus fulfilled and says, we got to do that again, right? And it's, and, and, and it's the demonic doctrine that warps people. you got to avoid that stuff. Ask questions if you don't know. Especially if you're a newer believer, you're like, I don't really know. Ask. I've read this book or this guy or this person People ask me all the time, or ask one of our pastors, elders, someone you trust, ask them, right? So you can avoid them. Real quick, though, in our uh, day today, which happened then too, we also have uh, major leaders within the church saying things that are really damaging. Like I know one that's recently said, the Old Testament is not necessary. What are we doing? I saw a clip, mega church pastor say, hey, if I were there when God decided this, I would have tried to convince them something else, but what am I supposed to do? What are we doing? If I ever say something like that, grab me by the throat and throw me to CVS, then I'll probably be hurt and I'll need to get a medicine or something like that. Because it's, it's untethering us from core cutting straight and it always swerves into immorality. It always swerves into ungodliness. Maybe not in the beginning, but that's where it goes. And so we got to avoid it. I, there's a lot of famous people, and you know me, I don't stand up here naming names. That's just not my style. But a lot of people you see on Christian TV aren't good. Not all. A lot of them. In this day of podcasting and YouTubing, man, we can watch really good teachers, but you got to avoid those that are focusing on health and wealth gospels and all kinds of stuff that isn't true because it's enticing. It's not the, the hard work of gospel-centered Bible living. We have to avoid it. And remember, to be able to do that is our B, right? Avoid the false teaching and then Bible living. Um, I, I've used this. this is in, you've probably heard other Teachers use this too. It's a great illustration of this. Um, if you were in the FBI and if you studied counterfeit money, which is huge, if you can counterfeit money, you can become rich, right? So, so they, they're trying to stay ahead of it. 
What you do in your training is you don't study all the counterfeit ways. You study the actual real thing. So when the counterfeit ways come up, you're like, nope, here's what's the problem with that because I know I'm an expert in the actual thing. It's the only way to truly avoid what is false and what is warped and what is twisted and demonic is to know the real thing. Uh, it's, um, imagine this, okay, that, um, I'm losing here. My, my hair is getting a little greasy, okay? Happens. No, no judgy, all right? And uh, my wife says, Jamie, um, when are you going to wash your hair? Why do I have to be your mother, crying out loud? Uh, I get, go buy some shampoo. So I do. I get some head and shoulders for my dandruff, right? And I'm like, look, Heather, I, I have shampoo. That's, that's great. And I walk around with the shampoo and even rub it on my head sometimes, right? And the hair just keeps getting greasier. Heather says, listen, if you want to stay married, right, you need to open that and use it. It's the only way. Having it isn't enough. Because we have access to the Bible more than anyone in the history of the world. It's crazy. You can get them on your phone at any moment. You can listen to it, right? And we have all kinds of of Bibles in our homes and all of that, and we can walk around with them, it's not going to do you any good unless you are committed, committed to methodically training in the Word of God. Last night, when I started talking about this, you speak enough, you start to, you start to um, pick up on this. People seemed very uncomfortable. and I, So that's why I was like, all right, I need you to know, this is not a shaming if you feel like you're lacking in this area. It's a motivation. There is no corner cutting. There isn't. Like, there isn't just the mountaintop gay Christian experience. It's done by reading, studying, memorizing, journaling God's word over and over. That's what, there's no cutting that corner. And the reason I say that is that I um, have seen these surveys they do of churchgoers in the United States. So I'm sure we're better than this. One recently said that of, of, on average of churchgoers in the United States, they read the Bible for themselves twice a year. That's, that's sad. Not for them, or well, for them. I'm not blaming them. I just think we're not teaching it enough. Maybe we're assuming it. We can't. It's too much at stake. Don't say, well, I read it when I was a kid. Like, this isn't a novel, right? This is God's word. So first category, you might be in here. And I, and I really, like, I love you. If you are here and you're like, you know what? I would do that if I was convinced it was actually God's word. Thank you for being honest, if that's you. So here's what I ask you to do. Study that. Don't just listen to some professor or teacher who said, oh, you know, that was written by men, hundreds of, oh, I guess it was. Fact check, please. They're wrong. How do I know? Well, I've studied it because I'm the kind of person that doesn't just take it for, I mean, I, I got, you can, I'll put these out here. Others looked after last. We got how we got the Bible. We got the formation of the Christian biblical canon, the origin of the Bible, exploring the Bible, the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? This book that we give for free has a few chapters on the reliability of Scripture. Read about it. If you don't like reading books, I'll send you the research paper I wrote in seminaries, like the Cliff Notes version. How we got the New Testament. 
It is incredibly reliable, but don't take my word for it. It's the most important thing you will ever need to know. Don't just assume it's not God's word, if that's you, okay? Now, I know a lot of us believe it is. So, what we need to do is we need to read it. Get yourself a good study Bible. I have a couple of examples up here, but there's a lot of other ones that have good notes and good context. And read, I don't know, don't feel like you've got to read it, you know, the whole Bible in a year. That's great. That's really aggressive. Just you know, find someone who will do it with you. Hold you accountable. Read the scriptures. Because this is how we avoid false teaching. And it's how our life begins to change. Last week I told you, they did a study of people who read the Bible. And when it hit four times a week, so much changed. That didn't mean, if, you know, one, two, three didn't change some. But they found that four times a week, so many bad things, sinful habits, anxiety, stress, purposelessness, all of that went down, and so many good things went up. So it's, there's no corner cutting. And, and so we read it, and remember, I put here very purposefully, Bible living. So I've known some people that could run circles around me theologically, and were just jerks. Let's just be honest. And I'm like, why don't you start practicing a little bit of that before you keep you know, espousing how much you know? So it's not just knowing it. That's the first step. It's living it. And you might be wondering why I have my cone out, all right? Because we in our culture, we approach things, and it's not our fault. It's just how we do. We approach things incredibly subjectively. And, and so what does it mean to me? You go to a museum. You watch. You look at, at, at a painting, how it moves me, right? You, you read a poem. What do I get from it? You, you know, maybe you hear a, a music lyric. What do I get? And so we've kind of done that accidentally with reading the scriptures. One of the surveys I saw that over half of churchgoers think there's multiple meanings to each passage of the Bible. That is false. That is 100% false. Now, this is why I have this comb. There is one meaning to whatever you read in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired that author, and that's their job. My job when I preach through 2 Timothy is to try to uncover and give to you what Paul meant by it. One, if you try to say, what does it mean to me, you start here, and it could be all over the map, and you can make God say whatever he wants to say, whatever you want him to say. No, no, no. What does he say? Now, there's multiple applications. So if we read the scripture that says, uh, husbands, Love your wives like Christ loves the church. One meaning. And it's a heavy one. And you're like, okay, i got to love my wife like, like Christ loves the church. How much does he love the church? Oh, boy. I look at the cross and I say, man, he sure loves the church a lot. That's how I'm called. One meaning. To love my wife. Now, depending on where your marriage is, right? Like first year. 60th year, somewhere in between, going through, right? Like, whatever you're going through, whatever your wife might be, if you're a husband, now, what if you're not a husband? You're single. It's still one meaning. Now you're like, well, if I want a husband, if you're a woman and you want a husband, you're like, I'm praying for that kind of husband. It's going to love me that way. Or um, I'm, I'm, if, I'm a, a, if you're a single guy, you're praying that I can be that kind of husband. So one meaning, many applications. So critical because we approach it so differently, and we can't. Because this is when hard truth comes. And God says things that maybe we'd rather didn't always say. Too bad. He's God, I'm not. And so 
It's Bible living. And I want to give you one more illustration, and we'll be almost done. It's an illustration I've used a couple times. Uh, I used it with our youth group a couple of months ago. I used it when I spoke at Whitensville Christian School, and I love this illustration. So I said, let's, let's find a way to use it with you guys, all right? And so when he says, train in godliness through cutting straight in the word, right? It, it works like this. This is your life. I often use this glass as your life, right? And, and so we often think of what we're trying to keep out. Avoid the false teaching. Avoid that, right? And that's this stuff, okay? Pour a little in there. And we're trying to keep this out, but a little bit gets by and all that. And then, and then we're, we're so focused on, oh, get that out of there and defending against that, right? But, but the best way to push this out is to fill yourself what is good, right? Godly training, the Word of God. And as you do that, right, now watch, it takes a few seconds, it begins to push that stuff. You can see it on the top, rising. And now your life is far more filled with truth, and you begin to recognize this, and as you continually fill yourself, methodically, training, reading, it pushes it eventually all the way out. That's how it works. And so the best thing you can do is to formulate a plan to read the scriptures and live the scriptures. There's no cutting corners. I get people a lot. And I, they'll say, thank you, Jamie. For, for what? For just preaching the Bible. And I'm like, what, what else am I going to preach? Like, I don't even understand. Are people preaching other things? Apparently. I don't know Why? You don't need to know what Jamie has to say. You need to know what God has to say. That's what it takes, is godliness training, day after day. And so the C, which I'm only going to spend a minute or two before we, we close, but I talked about this last week, community connection. He said, remind them, the them. You aren't, you, yes, you do have time by yourself in God's word. You need that. But you do it in the confines of community, meaning we encourage each other. So maybe you're like, I want to, but I always, you know, I always get busy and distracted and, and I need accountability. So find somebody, somebody you know. Hey, let's read this summer. Uh, Luke and Acts together. We'll read a chapter a day. We'll text or FaceTime or call or meet in person and talk about it. It's just good accountability. Do that. We offer classes. We offer uh, small groups. We offer the 2-7 group where we just had a graduation the other night. People went through all three of those books where they learned how to study their Bible and, and read. And, man, join one of those. Do it in community. The big question that I, I just simply want to ask you is what could be your plan this summer? Our, our youth pastor, Josh, he, he's doing a series with our teens called Don't Waste Your Summer. And last week we said, be intentional. And, and that was his whole challenge. What are you going to do this summer? To be intentional, to be in God's word. And then we were sitting in a small group of some boys, and, and, and a couple of them, they were saying the Sunday school answer, oh, I need to read my Bible more. So Josh was like, all right, how are you going to do that? Uh, I'll read my Bible. Well, what are you going to read? And he was like, how about we read John together, and we'll talk about it each week. Read one chapter a week. And they were like, okay. It's that easy. But I bring that up is because that was for teenagers. You don't think that we need, we need that. You need intentionality. If, you, if you're doing great, maybe all your plan is keep going. Don't get weary or distracted. 
But if you've been, you know, kind of out of the word and just like, well, I'm, I'm just, whatever the excuse, whatever the busyness, we all have it, be intentional. Because you will never, ever just glide into godliness. You always glide into ungodliness. And so you need to say, this is what I'm going to do. So what is it? So as we close, I'm going to uh, ask you to focus. You can close your eyes or look down or stare creepily at me. That's fine. I don't care. But whatever it is that you need. And I just want, before I pray, what is your plan this summer? What do you need to do? Maybe you need to study whether or not the scriptures can be relied on. Let's do that. It'll be worth it, I promise. Maybe you need to get somebody, a partner, to, to read some scripture. This, pick a book and just read it. Maybe you need to join one of the groups or Bible studies that we have. What do you need to do? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, joining us online. I pray for those who um, just need more consistency in your word, that you would give them the clarity, the time, the vigor that they need. I pray for those plans that people are making even right now. This is what I need to do. Oh, God, as they leave this place today, that you would put people around them to encourage them to keep going, to keep reading, and to keep living it. I pray, Lord, for protection from the enemy who will seek to entice, distract, twist, trip us up, help us to recognize it, help us to see it, help us to avoid it, and stay cutting straight in your word. Lord, I pray for those who don't came in here not knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would give them the faith to believe, that you would protect them, that they would just keep seeking you, and that they would find you. We know they will. Pray that that would be today. It's for your beautiful and precious and amazing name, Lord Jesus, that we pray these things. Help us. Help us. Come soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you uh, can, why don't you stand with us as we sing. If you want to stay seated, that's fine too. But let's bring praise to God.